Well, good morning to you all. Um, I liked being a rock star for one minute until Erica changed it to everybody on the platform. I was kind of disappointed in that. Um, Dwayne, thank you for sharing that moment with us today. What a precious moment. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Kyle. What a great way to, to uh, start a week. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about the importance of getting right with God, of, of reconciliation. Because as you look at the Joseph narrative, where we've come to right now, it's become a very, very high-stakes game. You have, on one hand, the family that's back in Canaan, the clan, that is to become Israel. They're nearly starving to death. They need to get to Egypt so that they can become a great nation and birth Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then you have the father, Jacob, who's literally dying of grief. And the brothers are afraid one more piece of bad news would literally kill him. And then you have the brothers. Oh, the brothers. (laughs) Problem children. Joseph is watching them to see if they can even carry the promise of Israel forward. And so this is a high-stakes game. Last week, Neil got you caught up. We... We saw them come to buy food from Joseph, who, of course, they don't know yet that it's him. He's the administrator in Egypt. He's distributing all of the grain. And Joseph is playing a ruse on them. He put silver in their sacks to scare them, to think that he was going to punish them for stealing, which they didn't do. And then he got him in for dinner, and he put them all in birth order. And they must have all looked at each other and said, What? How does this Egyptian prime minister know who we are? And then to top it off, he gives Benjamin an extra portion. And so what's he doing? Joseph is trying to get the brothers off balance so that they can't run to their normal habits and are going to get right with each other, with Joseph, and with God. Joseph is bringing out their true colors. So what are your true colors? What are the things in your heart and in your soul that are resting there? Maybe they've been resting there for years, maybe just hours, but you know that they have you in bondage, sin, guilt, the shame of it. This morning I'm going to give you a chance at the end of our time together, in a practical way, to give that sin and that burden to God so that you can be free. Because Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to live a life that is submissive to Him and is full of joy and passion. And that's what these brothers were missing. They couldn't because they were bound up in their own sin. So if you are bargaining with God, if you are debating God, if you are running from God, Let me serve notice that now is a chance to get right with him because we're all, in a sense, playing a high-stakes game of sin and redemption. So let's go to the text. It's really an interesting part of the narrative of Joseph. We'll begin this morning in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 41, beginning in verse 1. That'll be page number 38 if you want to grab that Bible that's in the seat back in front of you. Or you can just hop on the Ridgewood app, too, and you can just punch in media and just prompt your way right to today's study and all the notes there are there in Scripture as well. Genesis 44, beginning in verse 1. 
So what's going to happen here is that Joseph is going to plant evidence in the sack of Benjamin. And without saying a word, Benjamin is going to become a key player now in this narrative. But again, it's all for the purpose of bringing the brothers to repentance and reconciliation so that Israel can thrive into the future and bring Jesus Christ into the world. So let's look at this portion of the narrative, verses 1 through 5. Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, that would be Benjamin, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning light, the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. So we'll unpack that, but just notice that once again, Joseph is playing his hand, and the brothers are terrified of him. And what he's doing is he's keeping them off balance. He wants to bring them to repentance and reconciliation. So here, this portion is the setup. Joseph is setting it all up so that his brothers would be pushed away from their old life, their secrets, their deception, their violence, and would come and get right with God. Because the stakes were that Israel needed to be formed as a nation in Egypt Yes, under slavery, but to become a great nation and birth Messiah. And Joseph was doing this in two unique ways. The first thing he's doing is he's creating tension and fear in the brothers. He is creating this sense of we can't do anything to please this guy. And this man is the one who will feed us or not feed us. So he plants a silver cup. In Benjamin's bag, and that's not just any silver cup, that is the one that denotes his authority. It's his prime minister, if you will, cup. And so the words that come with it scared them even more, practicing divination. With this, he practices divination. There's tension, there's fear. Second thing Joseph is doing is he's creating a sense of awe about himself. Now, he likely did not practice sorcery. But I think it was okay with him if they thought he did, because he's creating this sense of fear and awe. Because he wants them to come to him, because he knows he's what's best for them. So often what God does with us, he's calling us to himself, he's calling us to a new life, he's calling us to freedom, he's calling us to hope. And in order to do that, he has to create a sense of of the surreal, a place that we can't run away from. We can't go back to our old habits. The people that we thought we could count on aren't there, and the only pathway forward is into the arms of Jesus Christ. And in a very real sense, that's what Joseph is doing here. He is creating the twilight zone. 
His brother's heads are spinning. And that's exactly what he intended, because he doesn't want them to go back to their old patterns. But now for the first time, for the first time in the narrative, Benjamin becomes the target. And without saying a word, Benjamin becomes the center of the narrative. Because this is the one person, the one brother, that they couldn't let harm come to. They promised their father. Judah said, if you, if you send him, I'll, I'll, I'll be responsible for him. And they literally thought that if another son was lost to Jacob, that he would die of heartbreak. And so now they've got this issue. The stakes are getting even higher. So we won't read this, but from 6 to 10, they're daring the Egyptian officials to reach and go through their belongings. But when they do, the results are stunning. Look at verses 11 through 13. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack. And as he searched, beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest, the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they, the brothers, tore their clothes. And every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. Benjamin accused. And really, this is where the whole narrative begins to turn. Now, the stakes have gotten to the point where something has to happen. There needs to be movement by the brothers. The family dynamic is being turned upside down. Remember the entire debate that Jacob had, whether he would even send Benjamin at all. And in a moment, Judah's going to refer to that. But now he's there and he's accused and the brothers realize that their sin had finally caught up with them. All of these years, they have lied, they have deceived, they have plundered, they have committed murder and violence. And now everything that's happening in their lives is being put through this grid of guilt and unrepentant sin And they had to be thinking it's because of us and what we've done. We're being punished. And now Benjamin, Benjamin's in trouble because of us. See, the consequences of their sin, they don't go away. They come to roost. And that's what was happening right now. And you can run from sin your whole life. But here's here's a thought that often drives my accountability with God and gives me rest when it seems like people are getting away with things in the society and culture around us is that one day we will all stand before Jesus and give an account. The Bible's clear on this. First and second Corinthians, we will, as believers in Jesus Christ, stand before Jesus and give an account. Non-believers will stand before God at the white throne judgment. Either way, Justice will be done. The consequences of sin will catch up to you at some point. And here, for the brothers, it had finally happened. They had to now deal with their sin and their selfish action. And God, though, in His incredible plan for Israel, has brought them to this point. 
And something amazing is about to happen. God is going to drive them to their knees. Look at verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. They fell before him to the ground. This is the dream. This is the dream fulfilled right here. Remember the dream. It had two parts that Joseph had. The first was there would be famine in Canaan. Well, that's certainly the case. They're in Egypt trying to find food. The second part was the part that enraged his family, that put him into slavery, that left him for dead. You will bow down before me. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph's plan, God orchestrating, had gotten them now to their knees. And they had a choice to make. Either they could use this opportunity to finally come out of hiding, take off their masks, not live in secret lies and deception anymore, or they could run back and continue their life that had been ruined because of their own behavior. And in a moment, we're going to see how that works out. But there are consequences to sin. And let me just talk about that for a moment because it's important for us to understand that if we don't deal with the consequences of our sin, that the game we are playing of high stakes, of sin and redemption, will be a costly one. So the first truth that is a general truth for all of us is found in Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Consequences of sin is what darkens our hearts. It's what causes us to harbor bitterness and anger. And it causes us to lie. It causes us to self-protect. And of course, the, the consequences of sin in an eternal Perspective is that if we don't confess our sins to Jesus Christ and trust Him for our salvation and forgiveness, then our consequences will be eternal. But our hearts have been darkened. Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful of all things, above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can trust it? The worst advice that you could ever buy into as a believer is follow your heart. Yeah, right to disaster. Your heart is desperately sick because of the consequences of sin. But thankfully, the good news is, is that we have an advocate. We have one who has already paid the price for our sin, but he hasn't just disappeared. He's still involved with our lives. Look at what John says about this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ is our advocate. 
He understands the darkness of our heart. In Hebrews 8, he's the high priest. In 1 Timothy 2.5, he's our mediator. He's intimately involved with our lives. And he's waiting for us to simply lay down our sin in front of him and ask for forgiveness and to be free. But because we're prideful and because we would rather try to do things our own way, we'd rather hold on to that sin because it gives us some kind of a sick life. This is what the brothers had done. And the key is taking responsibility for sin. The brothers had, well, they'd lied to their father. They put Joseph up for sale. They had committed rape and murder. And Jacob wasn't much better. Jacob had deceived his father into a birthright he didn't own. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Christmas here wouldn't be so much fun, would it? The question, though, was, could they own it and could they be redeemed? Joseph was watching to see if the brothers were ready to reconcile. But see, what we have to do with sin is we have to admit it. We have to take responsibility for it. It's not somebody else's issue. It's our issue. And then we have to confess it. And even more, we have to trust that the Bible is true when it says he will forgive us from all unrighteousness just for the asking. So I'm calling you today. I'm calling you to put your sin at the altar. Trust the forgiveness of Jesus. And release it. I don't know what it is for you. It could be anger. It could be lust. It could be selfishness. It could be lack of belief. It could be just spiritual laziness or intentionality, lack of. It could be pride. The stakes are too high to mess around with. If, if, you, if you are not a believer in Jesus at this moment, and you're still running from him or trying to decide, I just urge you not to put it off any longer. Because the consequences for unrepentant sin, for one who has not given their lives to Jesus, and doing this is what makes what happened today so incredibly important because you just affirmed that Jesus now lives within you and you are saved for all of eternity. It's an amazing thing. It's not about good works. It's about faith. Isn't that an amazing gift? And look at you two. You found the gift. If you... Sorry. Beautiful picture right there. If you are still running, then the consequences is eternity separated from God in torment. And eternity doesn't end. Eternity is forever. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're still harboring bitterness or anger, you're still harboring sin, then the consequences for you, you will, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. In a sense, you will, you will squelch Him. He won't be able to work through you. And you will fall into all kinds of issues that will make your life miserable. Most importantly, you will not be an effective minister at all for Jesus. I, I see people that, that, that are like this. They come into my office and they, 
They live in the, in the, the mess of relational breakage. They're isolated. They're twisting Scripture to mean whatever they want it to mean at the moment. And because they have followed their hearts, they've ended up a mess. The brothers were a mess. The brothers needed help. And so Joseph developed this elaborate ruse and it got them spinning around, turned their world upside down. Now before they know it, here they are bowing at the feet of their brother. And they don't know it's their brother. And then emerges Judah. Now, Judah's an interesting guy because Judah's supposed to be the leader of this clan. And isn't it interesting that though Judah was the one who had the idea to sell Joseph and who agreed to burn his sister-in-law to death, a fun guy to go fishing with, I think, Judah is where Jesus comes from, the line of Judah. The line of Judah. And it's Judah that's going to step forward here now, and he's going to eloquently... Tell Joseph why he should let Benjamin go and what effect it would have on his father. And Joseph is watching this whole thing happen. And he's going to see redemption happen right before his very eyes. So let's just read this through together, beginning in verse 18. This is Judah now before Joseph. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. He understood the power of Joseph. My Lord asked his servants, now he's going to recap, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we said to you, Joseph, we have a father, an old man, a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. And he alone is left in his mother's children and his father loves him. Remember, Benjamin and Joseph were blood brothers. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for he should leave his father. His father would die. And then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes with you, you shall not see my face again. Well, 24. Then we went back to your servant, my father. We told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, can't. We can't do it. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down to Egypt. But if we can not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. That's the dilemma they're in. Then my servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife, that's Rachel he's referring to, bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. So imagine Judah standing there. Joseph says, surely my, my brother's been torn to pieces. And Joseph knew that wasn't true. Judah knew that wasn't true. Jacob was dying of grief because of that untruth. And I have never seen him since. Jacob continues in 29. If you take this one also from me, harm happens to him. You will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol, which is the Jewish understanding of the afterlife at that time. 
30. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with, the, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant, me, Judah, became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father all my life. And now here is the key verse in 33. This is when Joseph realizes that the brothers had changed. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain. Let me remain instead of the boy as a servant to you, my Lord, and let the boy go back to see his brothers, back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy's not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. What had changed? Judah was sacrificing himself for his brother. Everything was different. The brothers were now dealing with their sin. Change and reconciliation would be possible. And more importantly, they could lead Israel forward. They could, under God's direction, make Israel into a great nation. So the brothers got it. But the question is, they've changed. Are you willing to change? Because this is the question. We can... We can read Scripture, and we can, and we can see these events happen, and we can disassociate ourselves with it. And we can say, that's nice, good story, great service. Let's go to eat. Let's go watch the Vikings not play, because they're not playing today. And we can just distance ourselves from it. Or we can say, wow, I got some things. You know, all of the, it seems all of the great men and women of Scripture dealt with some kind of sin that they had to, to work through. I'm, I'm reading through Genesis now, and I think of Noah. Here's this faithful servant for a hundred years building this boat in the desert. And what does he do? As soon as it's built, he gets drunk and all kinds of bad things start happening to him. He, God had to deal with his sin. I think of Abraham. He offered his wife twice to other men to save himself. And he's the one that got the promise. And then there's, there's Samson. You know, he was deceived by Delilah. Just a bad guy. Until God used him and he repented and he went and defeated the Philistines. And, and then I, I always think of David and Solomon. It's amazing. David and Solomon. Two of the most godly men in Scripture. Solomon, the wisest man, the Bible says. And they both had their lives interrupted by gross immorality and murder. And God still used them. So this morning, I'm asking you to lay down, to lay down your stuff and let God use you. Because the truth is, at the macro level, we all need redemption. We know that, theologically. But it's at the micro level, it's the deep, hidden things of our heart that I'm after this morning. Because these are the things that are keeping you in bondage. 
These are the things that are causing you to have difficulties in your relationships. They're causing you to have difficult finding, difficult time finding joy, difficult time reading scripture, difficult time praying. So what is it inside of us? We all have sin. We all have consequences of sin. And, and now's a chance to deal with it. And we can deal with it because Jesus is our Redeemer. Ephesians 1.7 tells us that we can have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. That's really good news. More good news in 1 Peter 1.3 that we can receive great mercy that's been given to us because of a living hope that is Jesus Christ. And so after this ruse is finished, Judah comes and says, you know, I'll give my life for my brother. And Joseph, yes. Yes. After all this time, imagine the emotions in Joseph. Imagine what he was going through. His brothers, he loved them. He could, he could be reconciled to them. And now, for you and me, it's time, it's time to be free. And, and I'm asking you not to put this off because you may not get another chance. You may leave here today and, and all of this will, will whittle away and, and you'll forget what was taught and you'll forget the, the text. And Well, let's not wait another minute. I'm going to give you a chance right now to lay sin at the cross. And so many of you, I wish I had a little blue, I thought I had a little blue piece of paper, but you were given one when you came in, so I'll pretend I have one. And... That little piece of blue paper is empty because it's now your piece of paper. It's now your heart. It's your life. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, because I believe the Holy Spirit is here right now with us, and He's going to use this text to go into our soul. I'm going to ask you in a moment just to pray. What is the sin that you're feeling right now that you know is squelching your growth and burdening you, and you can just write it with one word on that piece of paper, no names. I'm the only one that's going to see it anyway. And just fold it over once. And then you can come forward during this next song and just lay it at the altar. Hundreds came in the first service. And then go back to your seat, or you can stop and pray. Just lay it down and release it. This is an opportunity for you to I'll invite the worship team forward. They're going to they're going to do a song called Come to the Altar. And these steps now are our altar. And so as they sing and play. Take that word. And put it at the cross. But let's take a moment and pray first. And let's let the spirit prompt us. What is it, God? That you want us to let go of. What is that sin that I need to deal with once and for all? Let's pray silently.